Good morning. We're going to be back in the book of Galatians. If you want to turn there, I will go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, God, for this day, for this morning, for this gathering of saints. Lord, for the joy that I see in them, the joy that I have when we get to fellowship. And just praise you for the common union we have, which is Christ. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this scripture, as we look at your word, that Christ would be magnified. In his name I pray, amen. Galatians chapter 1. The last sermon, the last time I preached, if you were here, you would have heard the appeal and the appall of the Apostle Paul. The appeal was to hold on to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, to hold on to the faith alone, to hold on to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And the appall was that the very fact that they were actually leaving it. The amazement that Paul showed that you would leave this grace, you would leave this mercy to go back to the law. You would, salvation is by grace alone and not the works of the law. And you remember kind of the background of the book of Galatians. What was happening was Paul planted these churches in Galatia and there were Judaizers, people coming up behind Paul with false ideas saying that you're saved by works, you're saved by the law. You have, yeah, there's grace, but you have to keep this part of the law. You have to do this, you have to do that. And they were adding to the grace of Christ. And that's the purpose of the book that we're reading. And he said, anybody that says something different than that, let them be accursed. And it, the, the focus of last, the last message was that the true gospel is by grace alone. And now as we get, we're still in chapter 1 and we move into verse 11. And we're going to do, go through the rest of the chapter this morning. He says in verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's in, in the very first verse, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. We're going to see this over and over again, that Paul is making the claim that he is not, that this word did not come through traditions of men. It wasn't passed down from man to him. He got it by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what he starts out. I, this was, it's not according to man. I neither received it from man, nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because the men who were coming in behind Paul were saying the opposite. They were actually holding on to the traditions of their fathers. But they're, they're making accusations of Paul saying that he... Was re- he received this from the disciples, and he either got it wrong, or this is what the other apostles are teaching. So there's this miscommunication because of false witness from these other people, from these Judaizers. And he's making this, he's clearing this up. They're making Paul's that either claims that he was wrong, or that he was teaching something contrary to God. And there's always, they were also making claims that Paul's apostleship was either not real or somehow inferior to the other apostles. And in, in some, here's something that we got to keep in mind as we look at this. Paul's situation was not normal. Okay? So if you were to look at everything else, in, in our lives or in other people's lives in the time, 
it actually, some of what they were saying could have made sense. For example, Paul had not been a Christian very long compared to probably a lot of other people who were saved before Paul. Maybe some of these people coming in had claimed Christ longer than Paul. So there's some, there's some interesting aspects to look at. So Paul had not been a Christian very long. A young Christian can very easily get information confused when they hear it taught. Has that ever happened to any of us? Yeah. I remember when I first was saved and starting to see things a lot different than I did at the time. I was, I was, I believed a very legalistic way and I started seeing things different. And I remember trying to explain that to some people. And looking back at some of the things I said, I was just dead wrong. I, I was just wrong or I couldn't substantiate, I couldn't back up what I was saying with scriptures. There was all kinds of things, even like what Paul was teaching about this morning, where he talks about, if you're talking about the Trinity and you start trying to make analogies, you'll wind up in heresy real quick. Well, I remember talking about water, man. I thought I had it, right? Water is solid. Liquid and vapor, just like the Trinity, that's a perfect representation. The problem is it can't be all three at the same time. You cannot make an analogy for the Trinity. But how many of us have tried that at some point? Probably most of us. Or how many have heard one and thought, yeah, that's perfect. So there could be an accusation at Paul for having misinterpreted what the apostles taught him. Or... Has anybody ever done this? You're trying so hard to get out of one ditch that you go into another ditch, right? I've been guilty of that. Paul was so caught up and so zealous for the law, they could have made the claim that, see, he's just trying to get so far away from that. He's too much into grace. All of these things could be valid if you weren't talking about an apostle. But Paul is an apostle. And that's his claim here. When he says, I'm, the gospel which I preached was not according, but was not according to man. I didn't receive it from man. I couldn't misinterpret this information because it was directly revealed to me by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. He can't mess that up. You know why? Because he was God's vessel, chosen vessel unto him. So those accusations cannot hold water. And that's why Paul is saying this isn't of man. This isn't man's mistakes being passed down. That's what he was doing before. And he's going to go on here to explain it in more depth um, that it didn't come from man. This isn't Paul's word. It's just like the scriptures. We error. Probably error a lot. The scriptures do not. When the error, there is no error when it comes to God's word. And that's what Paul was doing. He was prophesying. He was a prophet. He was speaking the word of God. And when he wrote this letter, he was writing the word of God. So this is not one of those times when man is messing it up because Paul was called as an apostle. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Last week in equipping hour, I mentioned, and I think we'll, we'll next week in equipping hour, we'll talk more about using our personal testimony in evangelism. And we're actually going to see this with Paul right here. He's going back to his conversion. He's going back to the person he was before his conversion to make a point. And this testimony that he gives reminds us of how wicked Paul was and that you don't make a turnaround like Paul did without the power of God doing it. Let's go look at his, um, his turnaround. Look at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. What's happening here is Stephen 
full of the power of the Holy Spirit, is preaching the gospel. And with the gospel comes offense, especially in this case with the Jews, because he's accusing them of killing God. Because that's what they did. And he's accusing them of not being good enough, even through the law, to be saved, to, to earn heaven. That cannot be done. Stephen's preaching all of those things. And then in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. I want you to get a picture of what's going on here. If you're like me, you've, you've heard this preached, you've read this your whole life, you know about Stephen being martyred, you know about him being stoned, but do you stop and get this picture? Out in the street, wherever it is, he's standing preaching truth and righteousness, and they are... I don't know if we can understand how much of a frenzy this crowd is worked up into. And there's a mob and they run at him. So they're rushing towards him in just hatred and anger. And they stoned him. Ever been hit with a rock? I'm sure most of you have at some point. One rock. It hurts. Two, ten, they're pelting until you finally can't stand anymore and you go down and they continue to throw these stones until you die. At some point, there's enough mercy that you would probably be knocked out and then you're going to be. It takes a lot to kill a person. A lot of stones, a lot of pain. And this is going on. You ever, you ever watched a fight? Maybe when you were kids. And you know, even when we were kids, everybody always kind of got excited about a fight, right? And it was always just kind of like this little skirmish thing. But then, did you ever see one where it was actually a real fight? And somebody got some really good shots in? You could hear that sound? And there was just something inside you that just kind of, man, you just knew something didn't seem right about that. Well, at what point are you watching a man get stoned to death for being good, for being righteous, for preaching righteous? Do you have that feeling? And they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as, as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When it says they laid down their clothes at the feet of Saul, which is Paul, same guy, Different nature. When they laid their clothes down, that means he had the authority. He was in control. He said, let me hold your coats. Go kill him. You stone him until he cannot say these things anymore. Are we getting a picture? Now, now think about that. When you hear those sounds, when you see the blood start to flow, Paul has the authority to stop it as well. If he has the authority to hold their coats, he's given the, the okay to do it. He also has the authority to stop it. Are you getting a picture of who Saul was? What was the purpose? We'll see the purpose in, in just a minute. But then look on in, in, verse, in chapter 8. He says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the churches, the Christians, scattered to get away from this persecution. Who was leading the charge? It was Saul. If they stoned Stephen, do you think they weren't stoning others? 
You think they weren't binding on them and taking them to prison? In verse 2, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But look at verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He didn't stop with Stephen. He continued. Now, we can read that and we don't, I don't think we get the picture of just how wicked this was. Picture your house. You're Christians sitting here today and today you go home and this guy's sitting out in the parking lot and he follows you home. He knows you were here worshiping. And so as soon as the sun goes down, he kicks in the door and drags you and your wife, you and your husband to prison. Knocks the kids down. Who cares about them? Maybe he takes them too. I don't know. He drags you and throws you in prison, binds you. What would you think of that guy? Now, skip over to chapter 9. We still see Paul and what he's doing. And, and the, the language here in the New King James I like. He says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Still breathing threats and murder. You can just see how much hatred he had towards the people of God. Towards the church. Towards Jesus himself. And he goes and asks for the letters. He wants more. So he wasn't just following commands. It wasn't like, here's your job, Paul, go do it. No, he was leading the charge. I want more. I want more of them in prison. That's his former conduct in Judaism. And he says, you have heard of my former conduct. I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He wasn't just being mean for the sake of being mean. He was trying to destroy the entire church. He was trying to snuff out Christianity. That was his goal. In verse 14, it says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He was big time. That's what he was. He was a Pharisee. He was moving up the ranks. He was a young guy as far as that time was concerned, as far as in the, in the synagogues and in the temple, but he was moving up the ranks. And he had more zeal than anyone for the law of Moses and for the additional laws that the Pharisees had added. Turn over to Philippians and and we'll see a little more description on his position. Philippians chapter 3. Start in verse 3, it says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And this is, re, this is saying the same thing he's been saying in, in Galatians. There's no confidence in the flesh. But listen to what he says in verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. These other guys are coming into Galatia behind me saying that it's by the law. They're saying something about who they are or whatever. You've got to follow the law. Listen to what he says. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. You know what that means? He had more zeal for the law than Anybody. He had more zeal for these false prophets that are coming in behind him trying to say, you got to keep the law. I knew the law better than they did. I had more zeal for the law better than they do. More than they have. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. He's saying, at one time, I defended the righteousness of the law way more than these guys. 
They think they're defending the law. I know what it looks like to defend the law. If there had been any salvation through the law, I would not have forsaken it. I wouldn't have left it. I wouldn't have turned my back on all of those things. I mean, look at what he says. But what things were gained to me? Do you know what it cost me to do this? That's what he's saying. I was big time. I don't think we can imagine how big time Paul was. He had authority to kill people. You want to kill them? Kill them. You want to bind them? Bind them. Bring them in. He had that much power. We've seen men ache for that kind of power. For that kind of authority. For that kind of fame and riches. Do you think he wasn't rich? Absolutely he was rich. He was in position to do whatever he wanted to. And he's saying, those were gained to me, but I gave it all up. Why would I give all that up if, what, if it was true? If the law was true, if it was salvation by the law, why would I have given all that up? There's no reason. There's no reason. So we get this picture of this evil, wicked man persecuting Jesus, persecuting his bride. And then verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. One of the greatest words in the one of the greatest words in the Bible. Is that word, but. How incredible is that word? If it weren't turn over to Ephesians two. If it wasn't for that word, everybody in here would be doomed to hell. Look at Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. You were dead. You were spiritually dead. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Every single one of us who was not in Christ before we were in Christ were walking according to the spirit of the world, the spirit of Satan. We were at enmity with God. He makes it very clear. You once walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And listen, there are people in here who are very likely to still be walking according to this spirit. Take heed to this warning. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. He says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as others. That is a perfect description of every single person who ever walked this earth other than Jesus Christ. We all fulfill the lust of the flesh. We all fulfill the desires of our own wicked hearts just as Paul did. Paul had the power to take it a step farther. We, we don't have that power or we would. That's what man's heart does. But look at verse 4. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, but when it pleased God, I was this evil person killing Christians, persecuting the church, doing everything I could to snuff out Christianity. But when it pleased God, God intervened. He intervened for you if you're a believer. He intervened for me. He intervened for Paul here. And then it says, when it pleased God, this shows us that the time of salvation also belongs to God. When did it happen? Was it when Paul finally got himself good enough so that he could come to God? No, he was wicked. He was evil. When it pleased God, things changed. 
And then it says, who separated me from my mother's womb. You know, Isaiah said it the same way. Isaiah said he was separated from his mother's womb to proclaim the word of God. Jeremiah said the same thing. And in Ephesians 1, 4, Paul tells us all that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So there's several things we must take note of in this short passage. One is that it is very apparent that God separated Paul for a purpose. It says, he separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And then the next thing is it was before Paul was born that this separation was made by God. Long before Paul's selfishness and pride lead him to persecute God, God had separated him for a purpose. Paul just didn't know it, and nobody else did either. I'm sure the church was not walking around going, yeah, just wait. He's going to be saved. Now, sometimes we'll, we'll have those intuitions, and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're not whenever there's some kind of wicked person. But the reality is, when somebody's trying to kill you, you're not, con- you're, you're not concerned with that. And do you think any other, any other Christians were going, there's no way that guy's ever going to be saved? Has anybody else ever thought that about somebody? Has anybody else ever thought that about evil leaders in our country, evil leaders in our world? There's no way that guy's going to be saved. You know what? There was no way you were going to be saved. We're just as wicked as they are. We were just as wicked as Paul was. But it was before he was born. It was before he even had time to have pride. It was before he had time to think about persecuting the church. But in God's time, there was no denying it. And it says, and he called me by his grace. So when you're talking about this verse, the question comes up, dealing with predestination and election. The question that comes is, does the person have free will or is God's grace irresistible? So we can see already clearly by Paul's own testimony here that his conversion was at God's timing, when it pleased God, and we can tell that God determined it before it happened. And we can see through Acts, go back over to Acts chapter 9. We'll just take a look at at Paul's conversion. Acts chapter 9, we just read that he's still breathing threats and murder. He just went and asked the leaders in Jerusalem for the letters so that he can bind whoever and bring them back to Jerusalem. And then look at, and that's what he was doing. That's what he was on the road to do is to capture Christians, bring them back and persecute them. Either put them in prison or kill them. And so in verse 3, we see it. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. If you read that, it's pretty obvious Paul was not seeking God. He was certainly not seeking after Jesus Christ. He was persecuting his bride. And if you notice there, when when he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. 
Now, he wasn't directly persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting his church, which is the same thing. That's his bride. If you persecute my wife, you deal with me. You're persecuting me if you persecute her. And it's the same thing with Christ. You're persecuting his church. Paul was not seeking after Christ. Matter of fact, Paul was absolutely anti-Christ. Saul was. If there was ever a definition of enmity with God, we see it with these that I've just read you. And so what happened? He's going along, going to kill Christians. And God met him in the road, knocked him down, and revealed himself to him. That's what happened. Notice all the other men that were there with Paul didn't even hear it. Did you catch that? And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing, or they heard it, but they didn't see it. They couldn't see anything. And then if you skip down to verse 17, actually back up to, let's just read the, let's just read the, um, the whole section. Verse 10. So we're still in Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he had seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Think he didn't have a reputation? And, I, and he hears he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias is saying, if I go in there, he, could, he has the authority to bind me and throw me in prison. Yep. But in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He is a chosen vessel. Was he chosen at the road in the, in the road to Damascus? Did, did God look down and say, man, this guy's got a lot of power and a lot of zeal. I think I could use him. No. Paul said, I was chosen while I was in my mother's womb for this purpose. And God said, he is a chosen vessel unto me. He's, if not, he has been chosen, not here recently. He has, he is a chosen vessel. That's the purpose he was born. It wasn't to threaten the church, although that all played into it. It was all in God's sovereignty that all of this happened. But his purpose, the reason Paul was born, was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was chosen before he even knew who he was. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. And there's two things here. He said, you're going to find Paul praying or Saul praying. And he's already been shown a vision of you coming. And then Ananias walks in and calls him brother. Now, what has Paul done at this point? Nothing. He has done nothing. He appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Paul was born again. Paul was converted in the road to Damascus. And as he receives his earthly sight back, we see a, a, he's actually gaining a spiritual sight at the same time. So we see an earthly picture of what's happening within his dead heart. And what did Paul do in this process? The answer is nothing. He couldn't even walk to the place where Ananias was going to meet him. They had to lead him by the hand 
Because he was helpless. Who saved him? God alone. And it is only by grace that Paul was called. It was only by grace that he was saved. You don't see any kind of resistance to that. If anybody ever would have resisted the grace of God, it would have been Paul. That's what he's saying in Philippians. That's what he's saying. Do you know how much I would I lost according to this? But God says, no, you've been chosen by me before the foundations of the world. You've been chosen by me before you were even born. But while you were still in your mother's womb, I had this plan for you. And that's what Paul says. And then look back over in Galatians. We'll go on. Galatians 16, uh, verse 16, Galatians 1, verse 16, he says, he's going to give us the reason to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So not only did God reveal Christ to Paul, which we saw he did. But now we're going to see that God is also going to reveal Christ in Paul. And we see some parallels here. Into Paul was an apostle, so he was directly revealed this by Jesus Christ himself. But you are also revealed it through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit. Your eyes are opened the same way. Paul has to be a spiritual, supernatural Thing that has to happen in order for you to see this and believe it. And then also the same purpose that Paul had. Once Christ is revealed to us, the purpose for your life is so that he can be revealed in you. It's no different than what it is for Paul. So how did God reveal Christ in Paul for the specific purpose and call that God had for Paul? Two ways. By his testimony of his conversion and by preaching the gospel. And it is no different for any believer. You're, you, Christ is revealed in you by the testimony of your conversion. I used to be like this and I am now like this. It is a powerful thing to tell somebody that I used to be wicked, a wicked sinner, selfish, blasphemer of God, disobedience to parents. And now, by God's grace, I am striving to overcome those things. You know what's amazing is? We're succeeding. Have you not grown, Christian? Are you not succeeding? Sometimes we get down in despair because we feel like we fail so many times. And we do. But there's encouragement when you look back at who you were. Do you think Paul didn't struggle with sin? Yes, Paul struggled with sin. How do I know? Because he was still an earthly vessel. He was still in this flesh just like we are. But he can look back at who he was and say, wow, God, you've brought me a long ways. And I would venture that if you're a Christian, you can do the same thing. And it's frustrating because sometimes our growth seems slow. Sometimes we get frustrated because we can't overcome certain sins. But I look back at who I was. You know, I was thinking about this. I don't think I've told Dylan and Rachel. Um, I don't think it was an accident that I wound up last minute marrying them. Because the person that was named Justin 20 years ago, there is no way on this earth he would have done that. I was pretty cordial in my racism, but I would not have condoned that marriage. And I stand before you today and praise God for that marriage. Did I do that? No, I didn't have the ability. I had hatred in my heart. God did that. And test your testimony is powerful. 
And some people will say, well, yeah, but I, my testimony was I was young when I was saved. I was raised in a Christian home. I didn't have all that wild times and all those things. You know what? You had a wild heart. And it is just as difficult, just as impossible to change that heart at five as it is at 10, as it is at 50, as it is at 80. It is impossible apart from God. And that's what we're, our purpose and our testimony is to reveal Christ through our life. And that should help us overcome those sins that we are struggling with. We don't want to bring reproach on the name of Christ. We're going to bear His name as a Christian. We are part of His bride. We don't want to bring reproach on His perfect and holy name. So it's by testimony and to be the preacher of the gospel. Paul's specific call even says he was be to preach Him among the Gentiles. He's no longer bound by the Pharisaical laws He had this terrible message of destruction that he was breathing out through Judea, binding Christians. They weren't keeping the law. And now he has this message of hope and salvation. His main purpose, his main assignment was to preach to the Gentiles. Does that mean Paul didn't preach to the Jews? No, Paul preached to the Jews too. And he had the same message to both. He says, I did not confer with flesh and blood. He goes back to this this point. When I was saved, when I was struck down in the road to Damascus, once that happened, I didn't go meet with Peter. I didn't go meet. I didn't even, if you notice, Ananias didn't even share the gospel with Paul. He didn't lead him in the sinner's prayer either. Just in case you're wondering. Paul had already been converted. He had been revealed the gospel when Ananias came. He did not need to confer with flesh and blood. And and again, the purpose of this, the reason he keeps bringing this up is because of the false doctrine that are coming in. Verse 18, he says, For I build again those things. Wait a minute, wrong chapter. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So for three years, Paul, after he was converted, Paul went and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And after three years of this, he goes and he visits Peter and he stays with him for 15 days. And there was no report of Paul preaching a false gospel. When he got to Peter, there was no rebuke from Peter. There was no rebuke from the other apostles. Paul had been preaching for three years, and there was word that traveled. We can see. Everybody knew who Paul was. They were scared of him. So there was word that traveled among the churches through letters and people traveling. And there was no report of Paul preaching a false gospel. And then he meets with Peter, and no doubt... What's two apostles going to talk about when they get together? They're talking about the gospel. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the conversion. There was no disagreement. Paul's gospel was the exact same gospel that Peter was preaching. And he met James, and that was the exact same gospel that James was teaching. He hadn't got it wrong, and he hadn't received it from them and then messed it up, or he hadn't received it from them wrongly. He was preaching the truth. And then verse 20, now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. It almost seems odd that we're reading scripture and Paul has to qualify himself by saying, I'm not lying. But that's exactly what was being accused. So he makes an oath that these Judaizers are accusing him of lying. And the amazing thing is these churches, these people in Galatia who he had shared the gospel with and were converted under his preaching were now believing that he might be a liar. Have you ever been accused of lying? Have you ever been accused of teaching false doctrine? 
Even when it was straight from the scriptures, sometimes you can just read the scriptures straight up and get accused of lying. If that's the case, I'm not the liar. God is. But, yeah, we, we, we deal with that. We get accused of that. And the amazing thing, I guess, is that we get surprised by that. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here. We're talking about the writer of most of the New Testament. And he was being accused of being a liar. And he's having to qualify, quantify himself in that I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. He's being doubted by the very church he planted. So we should not be surprised when we wind up in similar situations. We should check. We should check that we're not because we aren't an apostle. So we should check that we are in truth. But when we are and we know that we are, we shouldn't be surprised by that accusation. We shouldn't be surprised by persecution that comes along with it. We should actually rejoice in it. You know, when uh, Don Kern was here and we had the question and answer with the men in the back, I asked him, because uh, he travels so much, he's in a lot of different countries a lot. And I asked him what, what, the, what the Christians would do with persecution, because there's a lot more severe persecution in other countries. And I don't remember exactly how he answered it, but basically he said they embrace it. And that's how we should be as we um, as we're mistreated because of God's word. And then in verse 21 says, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And these two countries are north of Jerusalem. If you look at a map. So he would have left Jerusalem, went through Syria and Cilicia and then into Galatia. That's how the journey went. And um, he's just kind of like it's like he's mapping out. He's like he's covering every basis. Look. What all these accusations can't be true. Here's why. Here's where I was. Here's where I was. What they're saying is false. I wasn't even there. I was in Galatia or I was in Syria and Cilicia. And then in verse 22 and 23, he says this. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. And this is an important point that they didn't recognize him. Why? Because he had never been there before. So a lot of the accusations they were saying that he had gotten all this information from these churches in Judea and in Jerusalem. He's saying they didn't even know me when I got there by face. They had only heard. Um, in, in verse 23, it says, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. They had heard that he had been converted. They knew who he was. They knew the message that he preached. Again, this message, they knew. They had heard about him. They had heard that that Saul of Tarsus, who now they call Paul, had been, had been converted. They had heard that he's preaching truth. There was no rebuke. There was no falseness in what he was teaching. And they didn't even question him when he visited there. Just, oh, that's what he looks like. Pictured you as taller. But what did they do instead? Instead of saying, hey, we've been hearing you're preaching something wrong. We've been hearing you're preaching grace alone and not working in the law. Because that's what was being taught at Galatia, right? No, what did they do instead? They glorified God in me. Why did they glorify God in Paul? Back in verse 16, because God revealed his son in Paul. These were the saints. These were the Christians. These were the the other apostles. These were the pastors of the churches in Judea. And what did they do? They glorified God in Paul. And because there is no reason to glorify man or man's systems... We should glory in Christ and the work we see him do in others. And that's where our testimony comes in. That's where our preaching of the gospel has got to line up with our testimony. It's got to line up with your life. You know, there's the saying that's out there that says preach the gospel 
and if necessary, use words. That is a not a good statement. Preach the gospel. And make sure, I mean, I understand the intent of the statement is live your life like the gospel. But you still have to preach the gospel. So the, the, the better way is to preach the gospel and make sure that your life preaches the gospel too. You're preaching it in two ways, and it takes both whenever it's us. You live your life according to the gospel, and you preach the gospel with your mouth, with your words, or with your writings, with your texting. With your emails, you have to proclaim the truth of the gospel, but make sure that you are glorifying God or that God is glorified in you and your testimony. And that's what they did with Paul when he came. These churches from Jerusalem all the way through Syria and into Cilicia confirmed that Paul is teaching the same gospel that the other apostles were preaching. The same gospel that Paul brought to a Galatia apart from the law. The same gospel that he took to them initially. And if he hasn't made that clear yet, he's only in chapter 1. He's going to go more. So we're going to see more of this. We're going to see more of the gospel. That's what Galatians is. And that's why I love it so much. Because at one point in time, I wanted to try to work my way into favor with God. And Paul's saying, you cannot do that. No more than Paul could have done it. Our conversion is the same way. And that's by grace alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you as I look back at the person I once was, that I'm no longer that person. And I thank you, God, that as I look forward, I know that you will continue to sanctify me. I know that you have begun a work, and that you will complete it. And I pray, God, that... Um, I would keep that in my mind as I move forward and that I would strive, strive to live according to that. Strive to live according to the gospel which you preached to me, which was preached and which saved me, God. And I pray that for each one who is here, Lord, that you would, you would just grant them assurance if they belong to you, that they would know that they have eternal life and that you could lead them and guide them into sanctification. And God, I pray that if anyone is here who is still at enmity with you, is still against you, that you would reveal yourself to them so that you would be glorified through them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.